This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. Today I'm talking to Michael. Michael's heart stopped for 17 minutes before he was resuscitated. Today Michael tells me what it's like to die and come alive again. Michael, where were you and what were you doing when your heart stopped beating? Well... I don't remember, to be quite honest, but I, was, I, but I knew because of the day, Friday, I played indoor bowls at Ramfurley and I was just arrived home to the pub and I just bought a jug of beer, put it on the table and then fell on the floor dead. Wow. So how did you, they get your heart beating again? Sorry? How did they get your heart to start beating again? Uh, well, the barman was Alan, and uh, my mate, I was with my mate Bill, and uh, Bill started doing, uh, they realised I'd had a heart attack, and Bill started doing heart compressions, and uh, Alan started giving me mouth-to-mouth, and then um, Christine says, uh, is it a fibrillator up on the wall there? Get the fibrillator. <laughs> so it went from there to that, and um, then, um, of course, the... Uh, uh, 111 was called by Christine. She called 111, and he, of course the fire brigade arrived first because that's our first call of emergency. They're trained St John's people as well for the fire, Naseby fire brigade, and then the ambulance arrived. And um, of course I'm doing this because I was told all this, not because I know. Um, so um, yeah, that's basically what it was, and the. Um, they changed from the pub defibrillator to the fire brigade defibrillator because it was a slightly powerful one. And then when the ambulance arrived, the um, Glennis uh, got the ambulance one out and they changed to the ambulance one. And then just after whatever length of time it was, uh, Glennis went out to the fire brigade to ring her base and say, do we pull the pin on this guy or do we keep going? And um, the young girl that was still working on me ran out and said, we've got a heartbeat, uh, what do we do? And I don't know whether I'm allowed to swear over the TV, but Glenn says, keep the bastard alive. Mm. Was <laughs> so it... that's where we're at when that happened, so yeah. Was it just your good fortune that you happened to be having a jug at a pub that had a defibrillator? Yes, possibly so. Yes, I think if there had not been a defibrillator there, I will admit the, the fire brigade was there within minutes. So, and the guys, you know, really worked hard on keeping me alive because they're all mates I drink with. So, you know, I knew all the firemen, I knew all the ambulance people. So, you know, they weren't. Um, strangers to me they were all people I knew so so you know you don't sort of they didn't wouldn't didn't want to give up on working on me so yeah, and the result come out in my favor absolutely and how old were you when this incident happened how old was I hmm 
Uh, so it's nine years ago. I'm 81 now, so it makes it, what, 72. And how, how long did your heart stop beating for? Uh, well, there's quite a bit of controversy about the length of time. One St. John's guy said it was 24 minutes, but Paul Hart, who was one of the first there, um, he said it was about 17 minutes, maybe a, a bit each way from that. So, so we've, we come up with the, the 17 minutes is what they decided I, my heart actually stopped for. Do you remember what happened during that time? No. No, it was all a complete blank. Yeah, no, don't remember. Only what I've been told is all I, all I know, you know, what people told me. So other than that, no, I don't remember any part of it. Because some people whose hearts have stopped beating for a while and then they've been resuscitated report having a near-death experience in which they see a bright light or loved ones on the other side waiting with open arms. So you didn't have an experience like that? No, nothing like that, no. Just all dark and spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember what happened before you were having a joke and, and your heart stopped beating? Uh, well, um, I know what I would have done, but that, I don't remember any of it, actually. I didn't. The, the two days before and five days, five days after of my life were, uh, were a complete blank, which people filled in for me, which, you know, that's helped me remember what actually happened. So but basically, no, I don't remember nothing. Now you've described that you live in a small community, Naseby, and that you were surrounded by people you knew. Were you with anyone who was very close to you at the time in the pub? Oh yeah, my wife was there and uh, the people that I'd played bowls with were t- taken over in my car to Ranfurly that day. They were there with me and, and the usual people that I have a drink with on a Friday night. And by the way, I didn't have a drink, I didn't even get it. I got it. <laughs> Jag was still sitting on the bar when I come back some weeks later to have my free jag of beer. Absolutely. So how did it affect your wife seeing your this happen to you, your heart stopped beating and being resuscitated? Well, Lynette was rushed outside, I was told. Um, uh, one of the ladies there took Lynette outside, but Lynette's not a panicker because she's been some through some pretty harsh things in her life herself especially when she was very young so yeah to her you know she's not a person who gets jumps up and down and you know throws a wobbly or whatever you like to call it so no she was she didn't get stressed she was very concerned but not stressed out after you were revived and recovered did you go back and have that jug of beer and have a toast to those who had saved you yeah, I did actually. Um, quite um, some time later, I went back and had my first jug of beer. But one one year later was um, I um, invited all the on the first birthday we'll call it. Um, I invited all the St John's people of the fire brigade and those people who helped me in the pub. I invited them to the pub for a, for a drink, and I said to the uh, uh, bar manager that I'd put uh, two hundred dollars on the bar. And uh, when that's done, that would be it, you know. And uh, as it turned out, um, not only did the uh, two or three St. John's people and about six fire brigade people turn up, but about 
another hundred people. <laughs> so thirteen hundred dollars later, we uh, we left the pub. I would imagine it was money well spent. Oh yes, yeah, well, it was money that probably I wasn't uh, meant to spend uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's right. So, after having died and come alive again, did that alter the way you lived? Uh, in some respects, you know, you slow down a bit. You don't do things as as that uh, strain you so much. You try and be a bit more careful, but. Uh, uh, basically, the rest of my life, I carried on playing bowls and doing things like that. So, um, yeah, basically, in my life, you know, I still went to the pub once a week on, or twice a week. Cause I used to go on a Thursday night as well with my neighbour. Uh, so, yeah, I used to go to the pub a couple of nights a week. So, I'd just have a jug of beer and, and come home. And, yeah, so things were very much the same. I was probably, you know, wasn't rushing around like I used to. Prior to this incident, had you had problems with your heart? Yes, yeah, I had um, a heart attack in Fox Beach in 2007, um, and they took me to Palmerston North Hospital and um, stabilised me and then flew me to Wellington and put a stent in my heart. Or in my somewhere in one of my arteries, I don't know exactly where, but I did actually watch them doing it on the big, six big screens are up on the wall, and I think the uh, doctor was more excited about uh, getting to the blockage than uh, I was. (laughs) And after this incident, did they do further surgery or do something to prevent your heart stopping again? Uh, Not till I had my heart attack, but one that I died in the pub. Right. They sent me to um, Christchurch in the plane and a paramedic travelled with me and uh, they put a a defibrillator in my left hand side of my chest which has actually got a placemaker incorporated in it as well so that if my heart goes below 40 beats a minute the placemaker kicks in and if my heart stops the defibrillator kicks in but um, the only part that's worked so far, to my knowledge, is the pacemaker part. Uh, a couple of months ago, I had a bit of a bad turn, and uh, when the St. John's people come, and uh, you know, they took me to the hospital in the helicopter, the, um, my heart was reading 20 beats a minute on the gear that the St. John's people had. Uh, they found out that it, my pacemaker didn't register on their equipment, so... That was a wee bit of a learning thing for them, so. Have you had to adjust your lifestyle in any way to accommodate the fact that you now have this metal object implanted in your heart? No, not really. You don't realise, you don't know it's there really, you don't, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you can feel it with your hand, it's quite a, a bump on your chest, but when you, but no, it doesn't have any well it doesn't affect me it may affect other people I don't know how we're all a wee bit different but uh, it doesn't worry me Now you've described that you've got a defibrillator as part of the pacemaker which can shock your heart back into action Yep Are you nervous of that happening? No No there's no I'm one of these people that believe that 
when your time's up, your time's up. You know, I'm one of the lucky ones. I got a few extra years, so hopefully may have a few more yet to go, so that would be good, so, yeah. So if you think of the few extra years that you that you got as a result of being resuscitated, is there anything notable during that time that you think, oh, I wouldn't have had that had, had I not been revived? Oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, you probably do think that way, we, but, you know, I'm, every day to me is a winner since uh, I died, so, yeah, it, uh, um, you know, I live uh, one day at a time and that's all you can do. I, it doesn't upset me, I don't worry about it, the fact that I may have a heart attack and die again, you, you know, you just don't know. So, because most of us don't have that ever-present sense that we've died in the past and we could die again, suddenly. Yeah, well, I was always sort of brought up to believe that uh, once you're born, the only thing you're sure of for the, next, for the rest of your life, how long you're sure it may be, is that one day you're going to die. And that's, you know, so I don't even, I didn't even worry about it. I don't think about it. You know, to me, you know, I'm lucky I've made 81 years. So, you know, to me, that's a lot of people have made a lot less than that. A friend I went to school with had a massive heart attack in the schoolyard when I was at primary school and died. So, you know, that's, you know, those things have sort of made me think, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen. That's right. Does it concern you that you might have a condition other than heart failure that, that would result in your death, but you have this machine in your body that might prevent you dying a natural death? Does that concern you at all? Yeah, well, yeah. I've, you know, if you're going to die of natural causes, you know, whether the defibrillator would keep you alive or not, I don't know. So, you know, my wife always used to say to me, she said, you know, you'll never die. You've got a defibrillator will keep you going forever. So, you know, it's uh, one of those things that, uh, you know, if, uh, I don't know whether, I know that they take the defibrillator out of your chest when you do die they don't leave it in there and bury you with it they take it out so but uh, if I had you know cancer or anything like that um, or any other condition that I might die from I uh, don't think they would disconnect it I don't honestly know I've never asked about that the doctor so I don't know now prior to you having your heart attack in the pub did you have your affairs in order? By that I mean, had you made the preparations that one normally makes in the event of one's death, or not? Uh, well, I'd made a will, but I hadn't sort of gone into detail, just, you know, the normal, you know, short and brief version, um, as probably you well know, being my, part of my lawyer team. So, um, you know, that in the last... Uh, few months we've had to sort of go really quite into depth about why my affairs get you know, settled or done. So. And have you been more conscious of that because the knowledge that you could die at any time is so immediate for you? Well, not really. It really We've done it because my wife sadly got dementia and um, uh, sort of we had to put her in a home and... Um, you know, that sort of changed um, our financial situation a wee bit. So, 
Um, yeah, other than that, I hadn't really thought too much about it. Now, after you had your heart attack, did you speak to your kids or to other people who told you things that you didn't know at the time? Yeah, well, that was quite surprised. I rang my daughter last night to tell her I was you know, doing this with you today. Um, and um, it was quite interesting in the conversation that um, um, you know, she'd come in to visit me twice a day uh, when I was in the hospital with my heart attack. And uh, um, there was other people there. One time she was there and one of them said, oh, you had any visitors? And apparently I answered no. And uh, she apparently, she sort of told me off. She said, I've been here twice every day since you, you've been in the hospital and uh, you've had lots of visitors. So those things, I couldn't remember people coming in and visiting me. Because um, when I come back to Naseby, uh, one of the guys that lives here in Naseby had been down to have a check himself at the hospital for something and uh, he come in to see me and I didn't remember him coming in so that was before the Wednesday after my heart attack so that was what four or five days later and I didn't remember him coming in so I had quite a, a lapse of memory in that stage but when I went to uh, Christchurch and they were putting the defibrillator and the doctors were talking to me there and they couldn't believe that I'd lost so little of my memory so it was quite amazing that yeah they said that and the other thing the surgeon in Dunedin Hospital also said to my children the bugger's got a, a heart on him like an ox so um, obviously he's got a very strong heart and that's why he, he's come back so to where he is Were they concerned at all that after having resuscitated you you might not function to the same level as you had done before? That's what they told my children in the hospital, yes, that I may not re remember who they were or, uh, you know, I may do things that aren't normal or something, so, and that I probably maybe needed to be put into a home or something like that, but fortunately I dodged that bullet, so. And did you recover all your functioning other than forgetting a very short period in your life? Yeah, yeah, everything was um, come back to working normally and, yeah, so. Now, you described how one of the people who was applying the infibulator to you phoned someone to find out whether they should stop. Who do they get instructions from as to when they actually stop an attempt to revive someone? Well, uh, because I, and before I had my episode, normally they wouldn't work on people for more than five or maybe six minutes if their heart stopped, is what I've been told by St. John's. And with me recovering after 17 minutes now, they don't, they don't stop the recovery session now and, you know, they, until they're really sure that you're... Uh, you, you know, you, you, you're coming right. And my mate's just come back from the bowling green. He's giving me a wave in the window. He'll come and see me later. Sorry about that. Yeah, so um, it's probably helped a lot of people. I know a guy in Christchurch uh, who's the father of one of the guys that helped me recover. Uh, he was down for 24 minutes. So they just don't give up. 
now like they used to give up and uh, so having you know me having sort of survived 17 minutes may have helped a lot of people to still be alive and hopefully that's a good thing absolutely now after your incident the otago daily times did a story on you and there's a photograph of you in your hospital bed and I must say, yeah. you're looking, you look very chipper in that photograph. <laughs> yes, that I all said, yeah. So yeah. how long was that photograph taken after your heart stopped beating? It would have been done while I was still in hospital because I got out on the following Thursday, so it would have been done within um, between the 20th and about the, uh, the following Thursday, so that's, uh, what, six days? So somewhere between the 20th and the 26th of uh, May. There's probably a date on the paper that that was in the paper, I think, I don't know. I did have a copy of the paper here, but I think my wife might have thrown it out with the other papers, so probably thought she was getting rid of some rubbish. <laughs> so after having done, had, after having had this experience, did you go and do any tasks that you had left undone, even of a of a sort of personal nature, sort of thanking people for certain things or apologising for other things? Well, I thanked an awful lot of people. Um, actually, not just for one year after I died, uh, probably for the first five or six years, we always met on the 20th of May, regardless of what day of the week it was, in the ancient Britain Hotel where I died, and we would uh, have, in fact, even the um, when Jan was involved in the pub she even used to bake me a cake <laughs> and she knew I liked chocolate cream sponges so she made me a chocolate cream sponge so and did you th was it um, did you have any sense after having been revived um, to be grateful or express gratitude to people in your life for other things let's say family members or friends unrelated to being revived? Oh, no, not really, no. no. Well, it's truly a remarkable story, Michael. Um, people are really fearful of death, and it's an extraordinary experience that you've had in which you died and came back alive again, um, and you've lived to tell the story, and you've just carried on living your life pretty much as you had done before and just been grateful for the extra time. Yes, I sure have, yeah. Well, I was probably brought up very young to understand people dying because my great-grandmother was at my grandmother's house and uh, when I was just a very, very young boy and I can remember her being dead in the bed for two days when she was dead and I couldn't, I said to my, my nana, I said, why haven't you taken her to the, to the cemetery and put her in a hole in the ground? <laughs> but that's what they done, and, you know, that's uh, probably, well, 70 five or 76 years ago so but she stayed in the bed and all the family come and said goodbye to her when she was sitting in the bed dead so and I have experienced that with a lot of Maori friends that I know as well as you go and have a yap to them after they pass away so and so having that experience of death as a natural part of life has enabled you just to be quite accepting of what happened to you and to just enjoy it while you have it yes I definitely will oh that's fantastic Bye-bye, Michael. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to The Final Curtain, ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. 
podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Cafe Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Cafe Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.